Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Covenant Grace Church. We're in Exodus 20 this morning. We're in a series in Exodus called Freed to Follow, and uh, it's an important Sunday, too, because it's Pentecost Sunday which is one of the five major holidays in the traditional church calendar. You've got Christmas, uh, you got Good Friday, you've got Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost, all around Jesus' life and then his ministry through the Holy Spirit. Um, here we are in Exodus 20, and God's people have been freed from Egypt. They've been wandering in the wilderness for a couple of months. They've come to Mount Sinai. They're camped there. And then Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law. This morning, we're going to look at the very beginning of that law, just really the first two commandments. Take a look at Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. These first two commandments in the Ten Commandments, to have no other gods and to have no idols, are actually fundamental. And they're super important for these people because they're leaving a land, Egypt, that was a land full of gods. There was all sorts of gods that people worshipped there. And they're headed to a land, Canaan, that's also full of idolatry and gods. And so idolatry will be a perpetual temptation to them. And these commands, guys, are fundamental. Martin Luther observed that the that the two commands, these two commands come first because we never break commands three through ten without first breaking commands one and two. Uh, what do I mean by that? We sin. We break God's commandments 3 through uh, 10 because something other than God has become our God. Something or someone has become more fundamental to our security and our happiness and our identity other than God. And that's why other gods were always a temptation to them. The other gods were promising to meet their real world needs. Things like uh, that their crops would be good, that they would have fertility, both their animals and for them, that they would be protected, that they would have security, that they would have success and happiness. They looked to the gods for those things. That's what the gods were promising them. And we can make false gods out of good things too, can't we? Verse 4 indicates that we can make idols out of any good created thing. He says it could be stuff in the heavens, it can be stuff on earth, it can be stuff in the sea. An idol can be made out of any good thing. But I think it's helpful, guys, to boil down our idols to their essence. There's a few kind of core idols that we deal with. There's six of them that I'd like to bring up. And I do have a visual aid, and that's this heart here. It's an anatomical heart. But um, in this heart, this is your heart, and in your heart is Christ. He should reign on his throne. He should be supreme in your heart. Nothing else should should get in the way of his worship, your trust, and your love, and your obedience, and your delight in him, right? Um, But there's idols that get in the way, and um, some of the core idols are things like comfort, and comfort can be an idol to us, and uh, and be a competitor to Christ in our hearts. Um, Pleasure, pleasure can be one. That's a core idol, too. Approval, the approval of others. You know, we can seek other people's approval, and that can crowd out Christ's supremacy in our hearts. Um, success, I'll put success right here, is another one. And you can just see how our hearts can become full of idols. Control, control is a really important one to a lot of people. That's one I particularly 
tend towards um, security, you know, to have uh, a desire for security. These are all core idols, guys, that, that battle for dominance in our hearts. John Calvin famously said that our hearts are an idol factory. And I think we could put like, you know, little smokestacks here <laughs> coming out of there. Our hearts, guys, are an idol factory. And so these particular idols are kind of core idols, and out of those, all kinds of other idols grow. And these core idols are what we're serving when we choose sin. We never break commandments 3 through 10 without first breaking commandments 1 through 2. Um, we, we have made one of these core idols our real God when God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And I want to test this thing out with you. Take a look at some of these commandments. Take a look at commandment 3. You know, not to use the Lord's name in vain. Why might you use the Lord's name in vain? Was it perhaps for the approval of others that you're willing to use the Lord's name in vain because it somehow gave you approval or, you know, something like that? Or, or maybe it gave you some sort of security in that situation. What about commandment four? A commandment to rest, a commandment of Sabbath. You might ask yourself, if I'm not able to rest, if I can't rest, ever rest, why? What God is it that you're serving? Did the God of uh, perhaps success become your true God? And like Pharaoh demands you work more and more with no rest. Guys, the true God gives us soul rest, right? Or commandment five, why might you dishonor your parents? It might be like the prodigal son. You might have done it for a desire for the God of pleasure and that was your idol. Or perhaps it was the God of control, you know, that you wanted to be in control of your own life. Or take the sixth commandment. Jesus said that anger is a kind of murder in the heart, right? And why do we fight? Why do we get murderous within our hearts with anger? Well, Jesus's brother said that it's the desires in our hearts. That that other person, I'm angry with them. I have that kind of desire for bitterness and vengeance and to have my right because they messed with what I truly worship. They took one of these core things from me and I'm willing to fight over it. What God are you willing to kill for is, is the question we should ask when we have anger in our hearts. Or the seventh commandment, adultery has many forms. Jesus said that lust in the heart is a type of adultery. In marriage, it could be lust, it could be emotional or physical affairs, or both adultery. And you have to ask yourself, what is attractive? Let's say you're being drawn right now, and I would imagine a group this size, that somebody right now is being drawn into at least some sort of a imaginary or emotional, relational type affair. And you have to ask yourself, like, what is the heart craving? Which one of these idols is really craving? A lot of people would say, well, adultery, that's easy. It's pleasure, but not necessarily. Sometimes it's the idol of approval, right? Or the idol of success, right? Sometimes it's that feeling, that ego rush that you get from somebody new desiring and appreciating you, right? What is that? That's the approval idol. That's the idol of some sort of comfort you get or some sort of sense of control. And do you see how this is helpful to look at instead of just looking at the sin, but look under the sin to see what is the God or idol that I'm really serving? What about the eighth commandment? What would cause you to seek dishonest gain? Could your true God maybe be success or security, right? Or the ninth commandment, why do we lie? I think this is a really important thing to do. If you wrestle with lying and being truthful, um, it, it's, it's better than just saying, don't lie, stop it, is to say, why do you lie? People lie for different reasons. Some people lie because they're worshiping human approval and they want these lies actually get approval from other people. That's the thing they really crave. That's the God that they have. Or some people lie because they want control, that lies are a way of controlling others. Or other people lie because they worship their own comfort, 
you know? Maybe you lie because you don't want to be bothered. You want people to leave you alone. You worship your own comfort. Do you see how that's more powerful than just saying, stop lying? Is to go to the sin under the sin, to look for the idol. What about the 10th commandment? The 10th commandment is not to covet. This one actually answers itself. This commandment asks you to look directly into your heart and ask yourself, what do you worship? Um, the 10th commandment is the one that rattled Paul, right? When you look in Romans 7, he was rattled by the 10th commandment because it showed Paul, this very religious man that was full of idols, it showed him that sin isn't just what we do, it's what we desire. Paul had the actions in order, you would assume, as a Pharisee, but his heart was a different story. Sin isn't just doing wrong things, it's loving wrong things. And religion can be just another way to pursue our idols. All our sin stems from the idols in our hearts. We break God's commandments because we have first replaced him with another God in our hearts, one of these other idols. And guys, this spares us from kind of a very simplistic, moralistic approach to keeping the Ten Commandments, an approach that says, you know, if you're a real Christian, you wouldn't struggle with these things. If you're a real Christian, you wouldn't struggle with these sins. Or, hey, you know what? If you're not keeping these commandments, you're probably not saved, <laughs> right? Now, of course, that could be the case. It could be the case that you don't keep the commandments because you're not saved. But guys, I remember hearing sermons like that for years. You know, if you aren't keeping these commands, then you're probably not saved. And I remember thinking to myself in the pew, thinking, you know, I think I'm saved. I mean, I believe the gospel. And yet I really am struggling with these sins. Is there another explanation Then I'm not saved? I think I'm saved. What other explanation could there be for me dealing with these kind of habitual sins? And there is another explanation. And that explanation is an ancient problem that's always plagued God's people. It's called idolatry. It's called breaking the first and second commandment. Guys, knowing God isn't just about what we do and what we believe. It's about what we love. You guys realize that? Knowing God isn't just about what we believe and what we do. That's important. It's about what we love. And what we love will change what we do. So if we're going to keep commandments three through eight, we're going to do that by first looking at what we love more than God. In what ways are we breaking the first and second commandment? What idols of the heart have really stolen the affection that we should have for Christ? And we don't do that alone when we go looking for that, right? We, we should pray and we should ask God to help us to determine what's really going on inside of us. Psalm 139 verse 23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so... What do we do, guys, when we see the idol? When we see that, that idol within our hearts, how do we extract it? And I'll tell you, one, one passage that's really helped me over the years is Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13. So please turn there. It's super important. I'm watching, so make sure you turn there. Uh, Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13 says this. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Cistern being there like a well or like a water container. And so we've left the fountain of living water, God, and we've tried to kind of carve out our own cisterns that are broken and have no water in them. And I see in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, three things about idols that are important to remember. And I think it'd be great for you to jot them down. Um, we can see that idols are personally offensive to God. We can see that idols are weak 
and we can see they're destructive. We can see they're personally offensive to God. God says, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. That's personal, right? And they're weak. He says that they, they've hewned out their own water containers, their own cisterns that don't hold water. They can't deliver. They, you go to a cistern, you expect water, no water in it, right? So our idols are personally offensive to God. They're weak and they're destructive. Because guys, if you live in an arid climate and you're counting on broken cisterns, you're in a whole lot of trouble. Idols don't deliver. In fact, idols kill. So let's back, go back to Exodus 20 and apply these three qualities to idols. And I think it'll be really illuminating. It was super helpful for me to see these things. First, our idols are personally offensive to God. Guys, God takes our idolatry personally. Okay, he says in verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Um, these people, guys, they lived quite literally in a world full of people worshiping gods. So people worshiped multiple gods, and it was obvious. Not obvious in our culture until you know what these things are. But in their culture, it's very obvious. They were very obvious, quite literally worshiping multiple gods. Religiously, guys, that place was kind of like our modern hookup culture. Okay, you think of the hookup culture where people give themselves to whoever will meet their felt needs in the moment. Religiously, that's what it was. It was kind of like a religious hookup culture. They would use whatever gods they felt they needed that day. And so they were religiously very promiscuous as a culture. And then the Lord steps in and he makes this really strange demand. It would have sounded strange to the people at that time. He says this, you know what? If I'm going to be your God, it's got to be exclusive. Uh, I'm not going to be one of your hookups when it's convenient for you. If I'm going to be your God, it's a covenant. It's a covenant like marriage. It's exclusive. And isn't that what it sounds like? Take a look at verse 3. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 5, you shall not bow down and worship me. I'm a jealous God, right? And now you can see why the Bible repeatedly calls idolatry spiritual adultery. Many modern people are actually offended by God calling himself a jealous God. But guys... If we see our relationship with the Lord as a covenant like marriage, it makes total sense that he doesn't want to share our affections with any other gods. God wants the first place in our affections, as he should, right? As he should. It's part of his love, right? Um, we're in a group on Monday nights where we're going through a marriage study. It's been really good. We just have one more week. And by the way, we're going to have more equipped classes on Monday night, so look out for that. But we're doing this marriage study and we were looking at how God's designed marriage, according to Genesis 2.24, as a oneness, a deep oneness, right? Where our spouse should be the most important human relationship we have. Amen? Our spouse should be the most important human relationship we have. No other human relationship should get more of our love and energy and effort and commitment. And we were looking at how marriages unravel when we make anything more important than our one flesh relationship. When we make kind of other relationships and other things we do more important than our marriage relationship. And in the book, the author called them pseudo-spouses. And so you could have pseudo-spouses like parents could be a pseudo-spouse. You know, you could imagine a husband complaining, you know, she, get, she cares way more about what her parents think than what I think, right? It's kind of a pseudo-spouse, right? Or career. Wife might complain, you know, his career seems to be his true lover, right? His affections are drawn away to that. Or kids, you know, a husband might complain, you know, she's always really excited about the kids, but I've never seen her that excited about me, right? Could be the kids, could be a pseudo spouse. Or recreation, you can imagine a wife complaining like, he says I'm his best friend, but his guy friends are the ones he really seems to want to hang out with, right? It's natural and good to want to be first in your spouse's affections. How much more, guys, does the Lord deserve that place in our hearts? 
to be first in our affections. Guys, idols are a personal offense to the Lord, and so he calls them spiritual adultery. Secondly, so our idols are personally offensive to him. Secondly, our idols are weak. We saw in Jeremiah, they're like broken cisterns, they hold no water. Our idols promise things, but don't deliver. They're weak. All idols, guys, promise a kind of salvation, but they can't save. All idols kind of put forward like a functional hell, some sort of a terrible fate that you need to avoid. And then they say, I'm going to be your savior from that hell. What could we think about with functional hells? We could think of things like um, being lonely, being weak, being forgotten, being disrespected, being ugly, being irrelevant, being broke, being rejected, being unwanted. Those are kind of, in our minds, can be kind of a functional hell to us. That's the thing we're terrified of, the, the terrible fate that will happen. And idols guys sweep in and they go, I'll rescue you from that. And so functional saviors, idols, come along and they say, I'll rescue you from that. And it could be things like our career or our marriage or kids or political victories or entertainment or food or addictions or shopping or education or our image before others or our friends or money or travel, romance or possessions. And idol guys can be anything that we look to instead of the Lord for our happiness, security, and identity. But guys, none of those functional saviors can save you. They're all too weak. And that was really the lesson, wasn't it, of the 10 plagues that we saw in Exodus, is that the gods of the Egyptians were too weak to save. God shamed those gods. With each plague, he shamed the gods of the Egyptians and showed that those false gods can't save They couldn't save the Egyptians. And I know we tend to look back on the Egyptians and think, oh, silly Egyptians, you know, and they're silly gods. You know, these silly Egyptians, they worship things like Ra and Hopi and Haket, you know, oh, so primitive, so silly. They should have worshiped human approval like me. They should have worshiped their career like me. Didn't they know? Didn't they know that social media likes are really the place where life is found? Or you know what? They should have worshiped their looks like I do. (laughs) It's crazy, right? Our idols are just as weak as theirs. So idols are personally offensive to God. They're weak. Third, they're destructive. They're destructive, like choosing broken cisterns in the desert. Idols are incompatible with life. (laughs) Our idols will enslave us. Jesus said this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. Idols are slavery. Our idols of control and pleasure and success and comfort and approval, all these idols always want more, don't they? They always want more. It's an itch that's never scratched enough. No modern person has said this better than author David Foster Wallace, who I don't believe he, I don't know that he was a Christian. I've never seen that, but certainly had amazing wisdom on idolatry. And he gave a commencement speech, perfect for this time of year, a commencement speech in 2005. And he said this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, There is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if that's where you really tap your meaning from, then you will never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. It's true. And then he says, worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when the time and age start to show, you will die a million deaths. 
before they plant you in the ground. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing the insight this guy had? It's like in verse two, it's a house of slavery. It's an itch you can't stop scratching. It's a pharaoh, these are pharaohs, from whom you will never make enough bricks to earn your rest. And the message of Exodus 20, guys, is that unlike idols, the Lord actually saves. <laughs> he truly saves. Look at verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's saying, I'm the God who truly saves. I have shown the weakness of all the gods that enslave you. I've brought you out of the household of slavery. Guys, the Lord is better than any idol that you left him for. Right? It's like in the spiritual adultery, you thought you found somebody better and you didn't. The Lord is better than any idol you've ever left him for. And maybe, guys, you're in a place right now where you're back in a house of slavery right now. Maybe that's where you find yourselves. And I just ask you, do you want out? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is right now leading the ultimate exodus for anyone that wants to be led to freedom. Jesus is leading that. Jesus was himself tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus always found his happiness and security and identity in his Father. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness with all our idols, but his love for God was unshakable. Jesus was utterly faithful. A faithfulness, guys, that God now sees as yours. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, Jesus' perfect faithfulness to his Father has been credited to you. That's how God sees you. And then on the cross, Jesus bore all your unfaithfulness. He, he took the stain of our spiritual adultery so that now we're washed clean. And then three days later, after Jesus died on the cross, he was raised from the dead to show that it was accomplished. And then after showing himself alive and well for 40 days, he ascended to heaven and now reigns on your behalf as your mediator and will soon return for you. Ten days after that, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and fulfilled the promise of Exodus 36. I want to read it for you today because I think it's super applicable to what we've been talking about of idols in the heart. Listen to this promise in Ezekiel. Hundreds of years before Jesus came and, the, and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit was sent, it reads like this. I will sprinkle you clean. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Guys, seeing the love of God, how Christ is better, frees us from serving idols. They simply don't have anything to offer us that we don't already have in Christ. Isn't that true? These idols don't have anything to offer us that we don't already have in Christ. It's, think about the idol of, let's say, control. Take that one out. Um, I don't need control, right? I don't need control because my father's in control of every atom, every event, and every active man. He's in control, so I don't have to be. We think about the idol of pleasure. Guys, in Christ, you actually have found the one from whom all lasting pleasure flows. You found the source of all true lasting pleasure. You don't need it from here. Or you think about approval. Approval. Guys, 
I have the full acceptance of the one who made me. He calls me righteous in Jesus. If you believe the gospel, guys, that's true of you. You have the full acceptance of the one who made you. And he calls you perfectly righteous in Jesus. You don't need the idol of approval. Think about the idol of security. Right? What about the idol of security? My God is jealous for me and he fights for me and he's working all things together for my good. And the same is true for you if you're in Jesus. You think, well, what about comfort? What about the comfort idol? Guys, there is no greater comfort than the love of God that I feel poured out in my heart through the Holy Spirit. There's no greater comfort than that. Don't need that one. What about the idol of success? Idol of success. I'm looking forward to a great promotion, to reign with Christ in the world to come. I won't be needing this one. Or guys, you could still just keep playing around with idols. Those are your options. You can have Christ, you can have idols that are weak and destructive, that don't satisfy. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Listen to this. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. Like an ignorant child, we want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let's pray. Father, you are better. You are the God who truly saves. You give true rest and security and happiness. Lord, smash our idols. Cleanse the house of our hearts and make room for Christ to reign more fully in us. Lord, what a privilege we have to be the temple of the living God. As we think about Pentecost Sunday, and that we have this great privilege of being the temple of the living God. Lord, go in there by your Spirit and order our desires. Cause us to love the things you command and desire what you promise. Do this, that in all the world your name will be enjoyed and praised as holy. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.